thinking about traveling to different churches around our country and he uh, kind of had a grim outlook on, on some of the places he's been. Uh, he was saying that he's a bit disappointed sometimes in the services because a lot of times it becomes a show with the musicians and people not wanting to worship God and praise God and that sort of thing. And, and I was just sitting there thinking, you know what, you haven't been to the Abundant Life Church in Gillette, Wyoming. It's a, it's a wonderful place. It's a great church. We can have just a single piano player and we can worship God and praise Him and get excited about who He is. The matter of the fact, it comes down to this, that apostolicism, this being part of a church, it's not about um, just the just a sitting there and that sort of thing, but it is absolutely a participator sport where it causes us to say, man, how much I put into this is how much I am going to get out of it in return in Jesus' name. That when I invest in God, He is going to invest in me tenfold in Jesus' name because He's the, the Father. He's the one that has the cattle all over the, the, the hills. I mean, He's the one that is powerful and prominent in that tonight. And so it is wonderful that we are in the house tonight. So I just want to encourage you, let's just reach out to Him for a couple minutes here. Let's just reach out and allow Him to minister to us tonight. God, we again are just so thankful for you allowing us to come into your presence here tonight. God, I am thankful for my church, God, and how they are willing to worship and not hold back. God, we want to participate tonight. Lord, we want to be a part of you and a part of your kingdom. Jesus, I believe tonight that you will fold that, God. You will put that tenfold into these lives tonight, God, that whatever they invest in you, God, that it is going to come back and it will be powerful, Jesus. I am believing, God, that your strength, God, your anointing and your power, Jesus, will raise up, God, a standard that is higher, Lord, and I am thankful for what you have done, God, and what you have spoken already to this church. Jesus, we believe you tonight, God, that your anointing will not only be upon this platform, but every person that is in this service tonight. And for that, Jesus, we give you the thanks and the praise and the glory tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Let's just thank him one more time and praise his mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated tonight in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Again, I want to say uh, thank you for giving to Sheaves for Christ over the weekend, and we are continuing to raise those funds over this, uh, this week and that sort of thing, so you still have time to give if you would like to in Jesus' name. It's such a powerful, powerful offering, and really it has allowed us to carry through so many things this summer that would have not been possible had that offering not had been there. And, and we're thankful for the blessing of, of God last year. And as a result of that, during this time when uh, nobody was able to attend in-person meetings and, uh, you know, there was no registration fees that were covering a lot of that stuff, uh, there was a lot of online stuff that had to take place and, and there was a cost to that. Uh, there was a fee to that um, investing in people. And so thankfully we had that wonderful offering from last year to help us through this summer. And so now we're looking forward to this offering this year to help us through this next year in Jesus' name as well. And so, as I said, we can trust that God will absolutely um, provide when, when things need to be provided. And um, I'm sure missionaries could testify to that on the field and uh, the things that they have been blessed with. And I know that they are so thankful for those vehicles. If you look up their videos and the, some of the places that they have to drive, um, believe it or not, but their roads aren't like America. Uh, you know, they don't have pavement all over and um, they have a lot of rocky places, a lot of uh, places that just don't have gravel or anything. So they're trying to get through mud and they have to pull one another out. And I mean, man, it would be, it would be tough. It would be very tough um, to say, I'm going to go to church, but I know I'm going to be going through a foot deep of mud and a suit and trying to get through that. And uh, my goodness, you know, we're thankful for that. So thank you for giving the Sheaves for Christ. You are blessing people around the world. And whether you will ever see it physically, what, what happens from those monies or not, um, you know, I, I don't know. But, but you absolutely can, can trust and know that it is going and impacting so much around our world. So thank you. Thank you for giving to that. And uh, I know our young people are just blessed by it and thankful as well um, in Jesus' name. So... Um, that, I think that is the only announcement we have, right, Sister C, for this week? We don't really usually have things during this time, or we haven't for a little while. But praise God. 
So we uh, are talking about these lessons of the peace of God, and, and it's been exciting, it's been uh, wonderful, and I'm excited to bring you this lesson tonight. Um, I think it's just, again, going to encourage you as a Christian to help you uh, in your storms in the midst of various things that you might be going through. Um, that's what we're going to be speaking about tonight and pulling the story from um, a story in the Bible that spoke about storms. And so there's a lot of scripture here, there's a lot of meat, and so I encourage you to take this and the scriptures I read tonight and read the context around those scriptures because we won't have time to read um, every single chapter around every one of these scriptures here tonight. But I know if you will take this to your heart that it will truly help you as a Christian. I know that we uh, sing tonight about our commitment to God and, and wanting to be committed to him and that sort of thing. And we can absolutely be committed to him, but there's times that um, commitment just isn't enough, that it takes us being willing to go a little bit beyond that, to search the scriptures out. How does God want, to, want us to live our lives? Because we can be committed to God, but still be living in, in miserable times because we're, we're causing ourselves to live in miserableness, if that, that makes sense, that we're, we're basically allowing the storms to affect us too much. And so um, God wants to give us a method to where we can still live a peaceful life, even though it may be hard sometimes, even though we may face harshness and, and rough circumstances and terrain that we don't like. God wants to give us a method to help us through those times so that we don't just have to feel the burden and the weight of those all the time inside of our lives. And so th that's what this is about tonight is it's, it's about taking something that can help us go further than where we have been. And when we do that, it makes it so much easier to hear the voice of God, to have a clarity, um, to know where we need to go, what we need to do, what we need to step in the midst of in Jesus' name. And so I ask that you, you research this, that you apply it to your hearts, because um, it definitely can help you if you uh, are in the midst of a storm, or I'm sure all of us will face a storm at some point inside of our lives. So we are going to speak about the Prince of Peace tonight. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, and it is not Christmas time, although I wish it was. And I'll just throw a side note in there. If you have not been into Hobby Lobby and you love Christmas time, I went into Hobby Lobby the other day, and I have a new second favorite store behind Menards. Menards has a wonderful Christmas display, but Hobby Lobby already has their Christmas stuff up, so I am going to go in there and spend most of my weekend in there every weekend, I think, because I love Christmas in Jesus' name. But the Prince of Peace doesn't just apply to Christmas time, but it applies to all year round in Jesus' name. And so uh, we are going to talk about how that can apply to us now in the current time frame in Jesus' name. So the scripture says this in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Does anybody know the name of the person we're talking about here? Jesus. Yes, absolutely. We're speaking about Jesus who came to earth thousands of years ago, but we know that this scripture is still applying to us every single day. It's one that can encourage us if we are in a down uh, place, and it's one that can teach us who he truly is. It says this to, to introduce this tonight. The shadows grew long late in the day as Jesus sat down in one of the waiting boats and concluded his lesson. Four hours he had been teaching the large crowd that had gathered, and Jesus had woven story after story into spiritual truths as he taught them in parables. He spoke of the sower and the seed, the incredible growth from a single grain, and a tree with spreading branches, and the light of the world was to be displayed for all to see. Each story revealed more understanding about the kingdom of God to all those who listened and believed in what he was saying. Upon concluding a long day of ministry, Jesus and his disciples pushed the boats out from the shore and escaped the press of the multitude. Having set their course for the opposite side, Jesus was weary from a long day of teaching, and he found a comfortable spot in the stern of the boat. Almost immediately he was asleep, and he showed no signs of awakening, even when the swells grew more and more intense, and the winds began to sweep waves of water over the edge of the boat." Even though some of the disciples were well-trained and experienced fishermen, they quickly grew alarmed over the intensifying storm. Fear gave voice to their concern as they shook Jesus and cried, Don't you care that we are about to drown? Unfazed, Jesus arose and simply spoke to the wind with a confident rebuke. Peace be still. 
His more evident concern was directed towards his disciples. He said, why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? The storm suddenly dissipated as quickly as it had arisen, and the fear of the storm was impending, uh, and the impending threat of destruction turned into utter amazement with the miracle they had just observed. Their unanimous question was this, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obeys him? So that brings us to our first point here tonight, the question of that, of what matter of man is this what matter of man is this and i'm sorry if this skips ahead here i don't know my clicker sometimes does that or sometimes i think the slides just have that that way in jesus name but you can think about the disciples at this point here that they had been following this man jesus around for quite some time they had seen miracles that he was performing they had seen that he was owning up to the scripture that was prophesied in Isaiah about these different places. And they had seen him do incredible things up to this point in time. However, for some reason at this particular point in time, when Jesus stood up and he calmed the storm, which in of itself is really not the most miraculous thing that he had done, that he was just there at this place and he had just calmed the storm. And, and really it didn't impact people. It didn't affect many lives. It didn't have much of an impact around them. But, but they, they saw him calm the storm, really not the most significant miracle if you look at the ones prior to this. And after he calms this storm, they ask this question of what manner of man is this? They're asking this question now instead of days before this when Jesus was doing incredible miracles on, on streets in different places. But they ask this in the midst of this storm. You see, sometimes the greatest revelation that we will have some of the greatest revelations that we will get, some of the greatest revelations concerning the identity of Jesus and who he is will come in the middle of a storm. For the disciples, this was very evident that it wasn't before the storm, it wasn't after the storm, but it was in the midst of the storm that they had this revelation of who Jesus truly was. It begins to show us this thought and this idea that sometimes if we are going to experience or understand Jesus more than we know him now, that we are going to have to go through some difficult situations that might scare us, it might be hard, it might be tough to truly understand who Jesus is. I know that sometimes that can be hard for us to hear because we say, man, I've been through enough storms this year and to put myself through another storm to understand who Jesus is may not be the best thing for my life right now, but we think that, that, that sometimes that's the case. But in reality, if we say that we want to know Jesus on a deeper level, it may take going through a storm to understand who he is on deeper levels. So the first point here, it says in point A, there that he rested during this crisis, that he rested during this storm. While others were fearing and this boat was being tossed about, Jesus was asleep. It's wild to think about, and I think that if any of us were in the disciples' shoes, we probably would have taken the same position that they had taken, that when Jesus was asleep in this storm, this, this boat was being rocked about, there was probably lightning, it was probably loud, and, and for them to think, how was Jesus able to sleep in the midst of this was probably concerning to them. Yet Jesus rested in the midst of this crisis that the disciples thought that they were going through. His calm was evident because of his confidence. And so for the disciples, there was no reason to fear as long as Jesus was truly on board with them. But they did not see it this way. They saw that if Jesus was sleeping in the midst of this storm, that they were doomed and that they were going to perish and there was no way out. So Jesus, he rested during this crisis. So this brings me to my first question for you all. In the biggest trial of your life, have you ever been annoyed with others who profess faith and seem to be unconcerned with the severity of your situation? Has anybody ever been annoyed by that or want to share with that? Probably, yes. Do you have something, brother? Uh, no, I, just, I mean, nothing specific, but mm. I don't want to say I was annoyed per se, but I mean, it's noticeable. It's kind of wonder do you care, you know? Mm. Or anything, but you know, it's kind of a natural response to this wonder. 
on the flip side, there's always those people who you know right away. They, they genuinely care uh, about what you know what I'm going through. They express that concern and the love's there, and uh, you know that makes up for all the other people that yeah. may or may not have expressed this. And I, I look at myself too, and I've experienced that for me where someone I know is telling me something very deep, and I know I need to be more concerned. I should be more concerned, um, and I. I I put an effort forth to, to express that concern, but I know there's still, uh, I'm lacking in that area where I know I, man, there should be something deeper there. I need to dig deeper. Mm -hmm. I really need to have a, a burden. We want to really pray that through to that person. And so, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's awesome. That's powerful. Not being too lackadaisical, but also uh, not being completely on the extreme side there for sure. Absolutely. Anybody else have any, any comments about that? I think for the most part, we can kind of agree that it has been an annoyance at some point in our lives when maybe we're like, man, they know what I'm going through, and yet they still can worship and um, dance and praise God and all this sort of thing. And it's like, well, how can they do that if I'm feeling this inside of my life right now? It's, it, it can be tough. And so the disciples were likely feeling some of that same stuff here, that during this crisis, they're like, how can Jesus sleep in the midst of this time when we are going to die, we're going to perish, all these sort of things. He should be out here, you know, showing us this miracle. He brought us out here on the boat. It's all his fault. You know, that, that sort of thing. I mean, they could come up with a million and one thoughts to blame Jesus with these things and say, well, it wasn't our choice to be out here. Jesus is the one that said we are going to sail across this. And then he puts us out here in the middle of this storm and then he falls asleep. It goes to sleep on our boat. I mean, really, they could begin to think of all these different things that they could blame Jesus for in the midst of this. But what this is showing us is that he rested during this crisis because he knew that there, he had a confidence. There was something else that was in the midst of this storm here. So Jesus, the second point here, the simple spoken word of Jesus, it produced peace and revelation of his power in the elements of, or over the elements of nature. The simple spoken word showed his power over the elements of nature. You know, when I, I was thinking about this point, I, I saw that, you know, it's incredible that Jesus was able to just get up and say, peace be still, and the storm was automatically calmed, and it, it was just a powerful, powerful moment. But, but the thing about that is that his word having that amount of power, I began to think about it, that we are apostolic people, and we have his Holy Ghost down inside of us, that he has given us his word right here before us that is very, very powerful, and it is so powerful that in the midst of a storm, we can begin to speak things from this scripture, and the environment around us can literally begin to change and transform, because it is not our word or, or, or our power that is being spoken into that, but it is his word and his powerful, uh, that, that is his power that is being spoken to those storms around us in Jesus' name. So even though back then he spoke to the storm and he calmed this nature and these things that were going on, we today can still have that same power and authority inside of our lives if we begin to take the scripture and apply it to ourselves as well. And so we can think about this, the storms that we have seen in the world around us, that right now Texas is facing a huge, I don't know if you would call it a monsoon or a hurricane or whatever it would be, but they're saying up to 14 feet of, of swells there, 14 feet, that is insane when you think about 14 feet of water coming up above ground level, that's a huge storm, it would be concerning inside of what would be going on there, tornadoes, floods, volcanoes, all of these things around our world that can just destroy and then in an instant and, and take life in so many of these different places. We see that these storms, they unleash dynamic power of destruction on all who are in the midst of their past, that they are there to just consume and envelop and, and take care of all of these things that are there. But when we think about how powerful these storms are and, and the, the might and power that they have, we can understand that Jesus' power and his ability is stronger than every single one of those storms. That it is more powerful than the tornado that might come through and consume. It is more powerful than the floods that might destroy housing. But the word of God is real and it is alive to bring us peace in the midst of those storms. 
Jesus is the one that brings peace whether he speaks the word or when his word is read. I want to say that again, that he is the one that brings peace when he speaks that word or when that word is read. That it takes us, our responsibility to read the word on a daily basis so that we have that peace and that power of knowing, man, the storm may hit today, but I am ready and I am prepared for it because I know that my scripture says I can speak against these things, that I may still have to stand in the midst of it. My feet may still get wet. I may still get some some, uh, hurts and and some scrapes and some bruises from it, but I can still know and have peace that in the end it is going to come out all right in Jesus' name. And so every one of these things, the wind, the waves, the torrents, the tornadoes, every one of them are subject to his command. They're subject to who he is. We've seen the prophets that stand on the hill and they pray that there would be no rain that comes and there is no rain that comes. We saw the prophet that stood there and said, let there be rain and there is rain that comes. Every one of these things is subject unto the power of Jesus Christ. And we can think that it's global warming and all these other sort of stuff. And I'm not going to get into that political environment, but ultimately the one that controls all of that, we know him and we don't have to worry about tomorrow because we know that he is the prince of peace in the midst of these storms in Jesus' name. So let me ask you this next question. If all of nature is under his authority, what do we have to fear? Why do we still fear at certain times in the midst of these storms? What, what do you think? If, if all of this is under his authority, why do we still fear sometimes? Yes, sister. Absolutely. I, I think all of our flesh desires that just a instant pill or an instant something to get it done and over with out of those those ways absolutely somebody else why do we fear some of these storms even though we know that yes Absolutely. Absolutely, it manifests itself, doesn't it? So sometimes we, we can get drawn and sucked into that. Man, just, you know, we want to just stay negative. Our flesh likes to stay negative, that's, that's for sure, at certain points. I mean, yeah, you know, that, that kind of that pity storm that you were talking about a little bit earlier. Anybody else, why we might still fear uh, some of these storms? I don't know if anybody else has an idea. I don't want to skip over. Yes, brother. And I think it's, it's harder nowadays, too, because we have such instant access to so many things that we can immediately pull something up on Google or whatever, shut it off or whatever it may be that to be in the midst of a storm and not be able to just turn it off right away, it, it can get frustrating. I know like COVID, that, that, that is something that has frustrated me. I just want to turn it off and be good to go. But obviously, it's not going away and it's still here for, for a while longer. And it's something that we just have to deal with and know that there is peace in the midst of that storm. So I think these are great responses. Absolutely. Why we still fear some of this sometimes. And so Jesus, not only did he understand the source of the storm before he squashed it, but he was also in control of the outcome. You see, before he went to sleep, he knew that the storm would be coming. We're talking about Jesus here, God in the flesh. So really nothing is going to surprise him or shock him in in what's coming up. He knew what would be happening there. So Jesus knew that when he went to sleep to rest his flesh, because he had flesh like you and I at this particular point in time, he needed sleep after long hours of teaching and, and that sort of thing. He knew when he went to bed that there was going to be a storm that was going to hit them and rock that boat. Yet Jesus still decides that he is going to go to sleep in the midst of this storm. 
It's kind of a crazy idea when you think about it, right? That, that this God who is there to show and demonstrate to his disciples these amazing things, that, that he is just going to fall asleep knowing that there is going to be a trial and a storm that is going to come up against them and hit and rock this boat. It says in, in Mark 4.35 that with divine foreknowledge, he said, let us cross over to the other side. So whatever happened between their departure and arrival it was immaterial that they, he knew that they would arrive on that opposite side of this, this sea. He knew that even though he was going to go to sleep, that there was going to be a storm that was going to hit them, that they were still going to make it to the other side. So Jesus, he's, he's kind of owning up to this phrase that we've been talking about here, the Prince of Peace, because he knows that this storm is coming, yet he is still very confident that they will make it to the other side and have no issues in between each shore. He is confident even though he has flesh and knows that he could physically die inside of this storm. He is confident that they could make it to the other side of the shore with no issues, even though the storm is coming. And he is so confident that he decides to go to sleep in the midst of this storm. It's really quite amazing when you think about this and in, in, in the aspect of this. And so point C says there that his power will bring fear and awe. The fear of the storm was redirected because of this revelation that his power is going to bring fear and awe in people around us. Now the disciples, when they were in this boat, the storm's coming to hit them. And, and they, they begin to freak out and they're scared because they believe that the storm is absolutely going to hurt them and harm them. So they begin to fear the physical environment around them. They run to Jesus, they wake him up and they say, Jesus, you have to do something about this because we are in the midst of the storm. And Jesus calms the storm and, and everything is perfectly fine, yet there's still fear there. Their fear transitions from fear of the storm around them to saying, man, this is Jesus Christ. Who is this man that can speak to a storm in calmness? They no longer feared the environment that was around them, but they began to have a reverence and an awe for the one who was standing before them because this was not just the, the normal man doing these miracles that they were seeing and all this sort of stuff, but this is truly the Son of God, the one that is here before them to save them, the one that can help them through not only this storm, but storms deeply into the future. You see, it was a huge transition for them at this particular point. And this is where storms can begin to take us because it can begin to say, man, I, I am no longer having the fear of the storm, but I am having a reverence for Jesus that he can help me step and walk through the storm, that he can direct me and I can clearly hear them even though the winds are howling around me. I can know where Jesus desires me to be and where he desires my family to be and where he desires to position us in the midst of this storm. Their legitimate fear of death was replaced by an awe and a respect for the demonstration the disciples observed in a simple command, which was this, peace, peace, that Jesus spoke peace into the midst of this storm. The reason this miracle evoked fear was that the disciples suddenly recognized Jesus' authority over every single spirit that was around them. It wasn't just the physical storms that now Jesus was able, going to be able to speak against, but it was the spiritual ones as well. And the disciples began to say, man, if he has the ability to change these clouds around, then he absolutely has the power and the ability to protect us spiritually in Jesus' name. To get rid of things that should not be there. To deliver people that need to be delivered. These ones that have walked around for far too long crying for help. We now have the one who is going to do so much more than just change the physical environment around us. They had seen it and they had known that he was doing these things. But now it finally clicked inside of their heads saying, man, this is Jesus. And spiritually he is going to squash these storms that are around us. He's going to protect us. He's going to help us. He's going going to bring people through these situations that they are go going to go through in Jesus' name. Look at some of the scriptures that Jesus speaks about this with. In Luke 10 and 19, he says, I give unto you the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
He's speaking some powerful words here when you begin to think about it. He's not just speaking to the people of this time, but he is speaking to the apostolics that would be alive and well in the Abundant Life Church many years to come after this here, that you have the power to tread on those scorpions, the things that are around you. You don't have to worry about them or begin to get into this deep uh, battle and all this sort of stuff and take Satan on yourself. But all that you have to say is, Jesus, I'm in the midst of this storm right now, and I know what's roaring around me, but you have the power to take me through it. You have given me the power and the confidence in Jesus' name to squash these things in my life. The New English translation of that scripture says, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and the full and on the full force of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nothing will hurt you. It's quite strong when you begin to think about that, that nothing can hurt you unless you allow it to. That nothing can begin to take away that salvation that Jesus has given to you unless you allow it in Jesus' name. And so I want you to think about this next question. We won't answer it out loud, but what natural event, supernatural sign, or undeniable miracle has caused you to be fearful of the awesome power in the presence of God? It's a question that we have to ask ourselves because we have to think about those times when we said, God, I don't want to go through another storm. But now we are beginning to realize that, man, in the midst of the storm is a place where I'm going to find the power and the miracles of Jesus beginning to work more strongly than I have ever seen before. And so in truth, it brings us to this next point here, that Jesus was more than a man. That he was more than just a human being walking around in this world. That's part of what upsets me so much about the Trinity is that they, they want to separate this out and say that Jesus was something separate from, from God and, and that sort of thing. There's power that is inside of Jesus. There's so much ability inside of him. And this storm is an exact reason that proves it, that he wasn't just some human being that was normal along here. He wasn't just some split of the Godhead. He wasn't just some split of the Trinity, sorry. But he was Jesus here, part of that Godhead that was powerful in this place in Jesus' name. He was more than a man. Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, let me give you some scripture on this. He says that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him on his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Speaking to his deity, the power that is inside of this Jesus who is walking around with the disciples who had just squashed this storm. To overcome every name, every power, every ability, every might that this world had ever seen up to that point and would ever see in the future was going to be squashed and completely controlled by the death on a cross in Jesus' name. That there was power in who this was. I'm thankful tonight to know that we can say, man, that same Jesus, that same spirit, that power that was there is alive and dwelling inside of us. And we can speak and we can pray in tongues and we can believe and have faith inside of the power of that Holy Ghost that lives inside of us in Jesus' name. That's why prayer is so powerful. That's why reaching out to him is so powerful because his deity begins to live inside of us. There is power in knowing who Jesus is and having confidence that he is able to do anything inside of our lives in Jesus' name. Let me give you another scripture here in Colossians 1 and 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. It gives us another reassurance of saying, man, you know, these storms around us may look vicious. These things around us spiritually may look harsh and challenging, and it may seem like we can never overcome them. But the reason that God has so much power over all these things here 
is because he created the world that we live in. He created the environments that we walk through. He created these things that are around us. So for the person that has the ability and the power, if there is such a person or a being in this world, it would be the one that created those things that are storming and roaring around us in Jesus' name. And we know that one who created this world that we live in, in Jesus' name. We know the one who has the authority over those things because he knows exactly what to twist or what to speak or what to move in order to help us through those situations in Jesus' name. That's why cancers are healed. That's why people are delivered from so many things. That's why we see that instantly happen inside of services like this in Jesus' name. And it's powerful because we know the creator and the one who can do those things. I think you're understanding tonight this phrase, the Prince of Peace, goes beyond just some Christmas phrase or something that is nice to say that, oh, Jesus is the Prince of Peace and it's lovely and that, that sort of thing. No, Jesus is the Prince of Peace saying, man, he can completely change environments and move things and help us through any of these things that we might be facing in Jesus' name. And so it says in point B up there that he is the creator of the elements of nature. He's the creator of the one who formed all of these pieces together. He ultimately has the final word in how they work. The one who spoke, let there be in Genesis, also spoke peace on the Sea of Galilee. And today, all must hear and obey him if they truly desire the peace that God can bring inside of their lives. His victory over death and the sacrifice of Calvary made us triumphant through that cross that he went to for every one of us in Jesus' name. It's so harrowing when you begin to think about what he has done for us. It's humbling. It begins to take your heart when you say, man, I am so thankful, Jesus, that you died on that cross for every single one of our sins so that some of these storms that I create, that I make inside of my life, that I bring into certain places, some of these storms that are here, God, you have forgiven me and you're willing to forgive me in those circumstances. It's so humbling when we begin to understand that, that he is the Prince of Peace, not only to squash those storms, but sometimes, as we have already kind of mentioned here tonight, we like to create those storms around us. Sometimes we do it ignorantly, but sometimes we do it on purpose. That man, we, want, we say, let me run into that and let me fight all those lions that are inside of that pit there. But God says, no, don't do that. But yet we do it anyways and we get caught up in the midst of this storm there. And thankfully, we serve a God who is merciful and graceful and wants to reach us and impact us even in the midst of our fallacies. He's the Prince of Peace. I think this next scripture is actually on the slide here in Colossians. And it says this, that we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Just pausing on this, this scripture here, we see the importance of why we emphasize, man, you got to get baptized in Jesus' name. You have to be, be, be taken to this place where you are buried and you come out of that grave again. Because if you don't do that, then you can't truly understand and experience this Jesus who he himself demonstrated many years prior to us that he was going to die, he was going to be put in a grave, and he was going to rise again. He wanted to demonstrate to us that, man, we could go to water and be pushed down in that water and come back out of it. And just like he rose from the grave, we can rise from all those sins that are left inside of that water and they stay there in Jesus' name and we become a brand new creature with this Prince of Peace that is there. I don't know about you all, but one of the most peaceful moments that I felt inside of my life is coming out of that water. And when you begin to crest and realize, man, all of those sins are left inside of that tank that is there, you, you begin to feel the overwhelming peace of God that says, man, I am, I am a new creature. I can stand in these storms. I can feel the power that is there in the midst of that. You understand the importance of, of seeing this in Jesus' name. And so the scripture goes on to say here, if I could get my clicker to work, there we go. It says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all or you all trespasses. It continues on to say, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, with, uh, which, or, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his 
cross. It finishes by saying this, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Incredible scripture saying, man, you know, those sins were washed away and and he took those things. He not only took those things from us, but when he died on the cross, he took every one of those things that would try to hurt us, that would try to harm us, that would try to bring us away from him and separate us from him for all of eternity. He would take every one of those things and he would mock them to their face by dying on the cross and saying, you no longer have authority or power over my people. You no longer have the ability to touch them and reach them. You no longer have the ability to scare them and cause fear inside of their lives. But now I am taking over that. You see, when Jesus called the storm on that boat, he was showing his disciples that one day when he went to a cross, that every one of those fears that they were facing would no longer have the liberty to control them because they would have the power of him inside them to say, I do not desire that anymore. I do not want to fear that. I want to be delivered from that. I don't desire the sin inside of my life that we have that power and the ability to speak to those things in Jesus' name. And it's all because we have the Prince of Peace with us in Jesus' name. This was more than just this physical storm that was roaring around the disciples. I think this is our next point. It was more than just the storm that was there pouring rain and hail and whatever it might, might else it would have been. It's amazing to think that these disciples who were trained fishermen, they knew the seas, they had sailed many times, they weren't novices in this area, that they themselves were scared of the storm that was coming up against them. It begins to tell us that this storm wasn't just some rainstorm that was coming with a little waves, but this storm was big enough that these guys were scared it was going to absolutely consume them and take care of everything that, that, that was about them, that they were not going to survive this storm that was there. These men knew how to sail in the midst of storms, yet they were shaken and scared by the storm that was coming up against them. It's because it was more than just a physical storm that was going on around them. Something about this storm was being prompted by an evil force. Something about this storm wasn't just physical, but it was an evil force that was coming there. Now, I want to be careful with this tonight because I don't want to scare everybody that every single thunderstorm that rolls through Gillette is an evil force that's trying to consume you and that sort of thing. That is not what I am saying here tonight. But in this story, in this, what, what Jesus is speaking about here, what these disciples lived through, this storm was more than just a physical storm, and there was absolutely a force behind it. And, and some of the physical storms that we do face, there absolutely is a force that is behind it in some of those circumstances. And there are times that we do need to pray if we are sensitive in the Holy Ghost. We see Mark 4 and 37 says this, that the gale of wind and ferocious tempest was demonic in nature as Jesus was about to confront a powerful principality on the other side of the lake. Sorry, that, that's a note of that scripture there. But, but it's, it's one of those, those places that we can begin to see that there is something here that is more than just a storm. The reason we can say this is that in Matthew, when he called the storm a seismos in the Greek, that, that's what the, this word is, the same word is translated earthquake in Matthew chapter 24 and 27 and 28. So literally this is indicating this storm was like the roaring or the rolling upheaval of an earthquake or the resultant tsunami that would come as a result of this earthquake out there. That this wasn't just an ordinary storm, but this was something that was huge. And they were using words to describe this in their language, saying that this was more than just a thunderstorm rolling through the Wyoming plains. Also inside of this, we see that Jesus stood... Or, or sorry, let, let me back up here. But, but we also see this, that the effects... Oh, Sorry, I'm skipping ahead because it's already there. The effects of the storm were beyond what is normal or natural. That the effects of the storm were beyond what was normal or natural. It was a spiritual attack against the Lord of glory, and yet Jesus was remaining calm in the midst of the storm. If you think about it, the disciples were, were prominent. They were phenomenal people at this particular moment. But if Satan, if darkness wanted to eat up anybody, 
it would be Jesus who was on that ship to prevent him from going through with what he was ultimately going to go through. It, it, darkness knew what was coming, but, but evil, the, this force here, if anybody on that boat it wanted to consume anybody, it would be Jesus. And Jesus very clearly would have known this when he got on that boat. He knew that there was going to be that storm that was going to be coming, and he knew it was not just a storm, but it was a storm that was meant to completely destroy him. Yet what did Jesus do? He went to sleep. He was calm in the midst of the storm that was going to hit his house. How many of us could say, man, I have enough faith that if God told me there's a big storm coming tomorrow, I'm just going to go to bed tonight and rest peacefully and say, God, you have this, and I, I, I believe that you're going to take me through this. How powerful would it be if we as apostolics could understand that? We knew these things were coming, and we just said, God, you're the Prince of Peace. Rest in my life. Help me to have some rest tonight, and I'll challenge this tomorrow with you and take it on and know that we're going to be just fine on the other side. Jesus was giving us such an incredible example here. You have to remember, he had flesh like you and I. It had to be uh, hard not to just go to sleep in the midst of this, knowing that this was about ready to overrun their ship. And yet Jesus was just calm in the midst of the storm. It's incredible to think about. It causes us to say, man, I want to be more like Jesus to say, I'm facing some things, but I can go through it. I can battle it. I can win in Jesus' name. Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves. And this word rebuke, it means uh, epitomeo, I think is how you say it. And it was used in other passages where Jesus cast out demons. So Jesus rebuked this storm, but the same word rebuke in this phrase here it translates to the same place where he uh, rebuked uh, demons and cast out spirits in other passages of Scripture. Again, it's showing us that Jesus spoke to the storm. He didn't just say, I don't want the storm to be here. But he's literally speaking to a force, an evil force inside of this saying, peace be still. No longer are you going to battle this ship or, or cause fear or anxiety and these things that are coming over the ship, but peace be still. When Jesus rebuked that storm, he was speaking to the darkness and the evil that was there that was meant to consume them. This story begins to grow so much, doesn't it? It begins to show us that, man, there is a depth here that maybe we haven't experienced before. But Jesus wanted to show simply that evil could be overcome by his power. And that he can restore peace after that evil tries to attack us in Jesus' name. It's absolutely incredible. And also, in the midst of this, we see that upon arriving on the other side, that Jesus immediately encounters the demon-possessed. That upon arriving on this other side, Jesus immediately encounters the demon possessed. This is where I encourage you to read this whole story, to look up all these, these scriptures here, because you, you can see the depth of the story. But Jesus faced this battle on the sea because there was a battle that was going to begin to happen on the other shore as well. And so Matthew 8 and 28 speaks this. Now, it, now that I want it to go, it doesn't want to. There we go. Matthew 8 and 28. It says, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the uh, Gergesians, there met with him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no man might pass that way. Exceedingly fierce. The town was so scared of these people that they wouldn't even go down the road where these two guys were on. Because they were scared that these guys were going to eat them up and consume them alive and that, that sort of thing. That's how powerful this force was that these people were, were facing up again, uh, against in this year. In Mark, we meet the man possessed with the legion who was tormented and confined to live in the graveyard, yet no one desired his company. These people over and over again who were absolutely possessed and, and that sort of thing. It's amazing to, to think about that they were so possessed that this city did not even want to be around these people. But Jesus comes up to them. And does anybody remember what he does with these, these spirits that are here and these people? Cast them into swine, right? He says, he comes up to them and they speak out to him. And they kind of give a hint that they know that there's going to be a death on a cross later on. But they say, if, if you allow us to, to, to live, cast us into those swine. Why do you come here to torment us? And I mean, there, there's a whole thing that you can begin to, to read about. And these things were afraid of him. They were afraid of this Jesus that was in the, the midst of their presence. 
So Jesus casts them into these swine, and the swine go running off. But the thing that amazes me about this story is not necessarily that you know, these people are freed and that sort of thing. It's these facts afterwards that these people in this city who could not walk down this certain road, who had saw how vicious and fearsome these people were after these spirits were taken from them and cast into these swine and they became normal people wearing normal clothing and walking around the street, they began to fear what had happened and they said, Jesus, we don't want you here anymore. What you have done has scared us too much. We don't want to see that ever again. These people are normal beings, so get out of our city because we don't want you here anymore. It's amazing to think that Jesus just cured this problem that they had had for far too long. And because Jesus cured it and because they were a little scared now, they said, we don't desire that. Get out of here, Jesus. Go on to the next city or else we're going to stone you and kill you and get rid of you our own way. They're, they're saying these things, but it comes down to this, that they were more comfortable with the demons than they were with the deliverer. They were more comfortable with these torments than they were with this man who would deliver these things out of these people. They could tolerate the screams of the possessed, but they resented the sacrifice of their own swine. These people were comfortable inside of a circumstance that they should not have been comfortable with. You see, sometimes these storms are tough. And I know that as a Christian, sometimes it's hard to say, man, I'm going to live all out for Jesus and do everything that he has asked me to do. I know that it can be a challenge on a daily basis to put our flesh under subjection and begin to go forward with this. But may we never become so comfortable that when Jesus does begin to move in our lives, that it causes us to, to get scared and freak out and say, man, Jesus, that's enough. I've, I've had enough. That this, this is kind of where I'm going to draw the line and I don't want to go any further than that in Jesus' name. But we should be saying, God, your scripture has so many pieces inside of it that I have no clue about. And you have done powerful things inside of my life to deliver me from so much. And God, I want to know more about you and desire more about who you are. Jesus, I don't want to shut you down just because it is something different from what culture says needs to go on. I don't want to shut you down just because it's scary to live the way that you have asked me to live. But God, I know that you are the Prince of Peace. And if you have asked me to do it. If you have asked me to live a certain way in this world, then you will help me have peace in the midst of the storm when I am walking about doing what you have asked me to do in Jesus' name. It absolutely is a challenging thing. And I can tell you that when you go and you pray for people or when you tell your coworkers that you are, you don't even have to tell them, but when you don't swear like them, you don't tell the jokes that they tell, you aren't involved in some of that thing that, that some people will begin to, to point fingers at you and say, well, you're just doing that because you want to show yourself bigger than all of these things here. It will begin to develop a storm just because you do what God has asked you to do inside of the world around us. There, there's a storm that's naturally going to come that you cannot get around. But rest assured that God will provide you peace in the midst of all of that. That you can still say, God, I am going to pray for these people. I'm going to believe that you can still impact them because you are the Prince of Peace inside of my life. And even if they are going to ridicule and mock and make fun of me, God, it is nothing compared to what you went through. And I have peace inside of my life because I know that you are the Prince of Peace, the one that can calm not only the physical storm, but the spiritual storm that begins to swarm, uh, swarm around us in Jesus' name. It's powerful when we begin to realize that. It's powerful when we begin to see that in Jesus' name and what can happen there and the power that we have as a result of that. I was walking in a place, and man, I have to be extremely careful by even probably saying this on here in case somebody watches it, but, but I was walking, and, and, and I walked by these two people, and, and for whatever reason, I, you know, usually I don't hear what people are saying around me and that sort of stuff. But just this person began to speak about witchcraft and whether you want to believe that it's alive in our community or not, it, there are places it is here. This person began to speak about it, and the other one began to speak about how they were dealing with issues and how they were going to a witch doctor to try to get this cured. And I was thinking, holy cow, like, man, I haven't heard somebody openly speak about something like this in a long time. This is just wild. And I remember walking and just feeling that there was like a torrent or a storm in the midst of that circumstance there. And I, I absolutely could have spoken something to these two men or whatever it was. 
But I, I knew that it wasn't the right place at the right time. And so I just began to say, God, you know what is going on here. And you can begin to take hold of these things, these places, this witchcraft, whatever it may be. You can take hold of this, God, and you can begin to put peace inside of somebody's life that they have never had before. It was, it was so hard because I could hear these men speaking about how they were desiring cures for circumstances they were going through, but they were turning to the complete wrong circumstances. So I prayed a prayer and I said, God, I believe that you will bind that up, that you will not allow that to have any sort of power or effect in their lives, and that you will begin to reveal your glory to these men in Jesus' name. And I absolutely believe with, with, with strength inside of that, that there is going to be a time where I'm going to be able to speak to these men about Jesus and the power that he has and the peace that he has in the midst of their storms in Jesus' name. It's not always just about going crazy inside of this, but we can just begin to pray and say, I know the Prince of Peace. And even if somebody doesn't want him in their lives, I can begin to speak things around their lives that will begin to make him evident more so to them over and over and over again in Jesus' name. We have that ability and that power in who he is. And so the tension when the prince of the power of the air met the prince of peace was very strong inside of this story. We can see how strong this conflict is between the prince of the power of the air and the prince of peace. Does anybody know who we're talking about when we say the prince of the power of the air? Who is that? the devil. It's Satan, right? That's what scripture speaks to him about. So we're speaking about this devil, the prince of the power of the air, meeting this prince of peace head on. And Jesus shows us how easy it was for him to squash and take care of that. When Satan has done all that he can do, Jesus just speaks a simple word and the situation is completely resolved. It shows us why we have really no, no we, we should have no place in going and saying, man, I want to duke it out with Satan. It's not our place. It's not our responsibility. We can say, Jesus, you do whatever you need to do. You speak the things that need to be spoken because you can speak one single word and that thing can be squashed and moved out of my way. And I no longer have to worry about it being a stumbling stone before me in Jesus name. It's crazy when you begin to think about this. And ultimately, we see when the 70 disciples whom Jesus sent out returned, rejoicing that these demons that had been subject to them, uh, that, that they were rejoicing, Jesus, these things had been subject unto, you gave us the power, you spoke that scripture to us, giving us the authority over them. And we prayed, and man, they were cast out, just like you told us to do, and, and that sort of thing. They're back there, and they're rejoicing. Jesus comes back to them, and he seems to minimize the miracle that just happened. He seems to minimize how excited they truly are about casting out these demons and all these spiritually cool things that they were able to do. And he minimizes that, and he places more importance on the fact that their names were written in heaven. He explained, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, quickly, fast, with nothing there. I mean, instantly, just boom and gone. That's what Jesus is saying, that man, it's like a flash of lightning. He's going to fall. It's done and over with. That there, there is no need to worry and get excited about all these things here. But you can be excited that your name is written in heaven. That yes, I will do miracles through you. You will see cool things because of the power that I have put down inside of you. But you should be more excited that when the storm comes, you can dwell in the midst of the storm. You can rescue others. You can show them about my name. And as a result, man, your name is written in the book of heaven. And you can be excited about living with me for all of eternity in Jesus' name. What he's really saying there is don't put the miracles before you put me. Don't put the miracles before your relationship and your desire with me, that that power is a great thing. But man, I want you to consume me. You can have cancer. You can have all this other sort of stuff. But, but in the end, what really counts is do you have me? Do you know me? Do you understand who I am and the power and the ability that comes from me? It's the Prince of Peace that we are talking about here. The Prince of Peace that wants to know you and me and wants to live inside of us in Jesus' name. I think that's the next point here. It says he is the Prince of Peace. He is that Prince of Peace in Jesus' name. In Luke 10 and 19, he says, Over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall by any means hurt you. If you remember that scripture that we read. 
Nothing shall hurt you or take you from who he is. He has a position of royalty inside of our lives. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, again, reading the scripture, reminding you of what he said. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Basically, it's giving him this next point, the position of authority. And I guess it's seven there too. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it. And to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this in Jesus' name. It's powerful to think about. There will be no end to this kingdom. No matter how hard somebody wants to resist it or shut it down, no matter how many laws or things they want to say you can't do it anymore, it is not going to be shut down. It will not be squashed. We've seen countries try to do that, and it has not worked. It has not taken place. In fact, it has almost increased baptisms that have happened in that place. It has almost increased a deeper dedication inside of people because they know that, man, when I get a hold of this Jesus, I cannot let it go for anything, and it may cost me my life, but but I am going to go through this storm because I know the Prince of Peace. And if they take my life, I die and go to heaven and live with him for all of eternity in Jesus' name. Again, it's not about the miracle or those things around us, but it is about him in Jesus' name. And I think even here in America, we got to learn who that Prince of Peace is and say, man, I want him everywhere in the midst of every storm, in every part of my life, and everything that I am doing. And I am going to dedicate my my life to that. If it means being made fun of people, if it means being hurt by people, if it means any of this stuff, I am going to say, Jesus, I am going to see you there in front of those gates. And my name is going to be in that book because Jesus, I desire you in Jesus' name. I'm trying to finish and conclude this up here tonight, but all, it's, he's given that position of authority as the Prince of Peace. Again, Matthew 28 and 18, that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that was back then, the Jesus that is here now and alive inside of us. Mark 1 and 22, it says that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes of saying, man, we are the big bad people who have the authority inside of your lives. But Jesus was saying there is only one that has authority inside of your life to cast these things out, to cause peace in the midst of the storm. It's because he is the only one who has that authority to take hold of that. And not only that, but he has the position of victory. The position of victory in Jesus' name. The battle belongs to the Lord, as Scripture says. Death will be defeated. Jesus will prevail over every single opposition that is there. We can be confident in the knowledge and secure in his love for us, knowing that it is alive and it is well there. Remember Scripture, Romans 8 and 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death, life, angels, principalities, darkness, evil, all these things are included in this, this scripture that they cannot separate you from the love of God. And you know what that gives us? It gives us peace of saying, man, you can come at me. You can try as hard as you possibly want to, but I'm not giving it up. I'm committed tonight to say I am not giving it up. No matter what I face tomorrow on that boat, 
I am not giving this up for anything. You cannot pay me enough. You cannot challenge me enough. You cannot hurt me enough. But I am not giving up what I have in this place tonight in Jesus' name because I know the Prince of Peace. And man, he can take me through every single thing that you throw at me or begin to place inside of my life in Jesus' name. It's powerful when you begin to think about what Jesus was teaching on that boat to his disciples in Jesus' name. It's powerful when you begin to sense that and feel that in Jesus' name. I want to leave you with this last statement here in this, this saying. In Israel's history, David stands alone as the most prolific and heroic figure in the glory days of their conquest. As a successor to King Saul, and after many successful military campaigns, the enlargement of their occupation grew throughout the territories. The people sang songs to celebrate his prowess and accomplishments. Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. He became a powerful king to be feared and admired. After many years and numerous military and political successes, David had an ultimate desire that would not be fulfilled. His desire to build a temple and a house for the Lord in Jerusalem. While his desire was noteworthy and pleasing to the Lord, David was not the man for the job. God reminded, them that he, or reminded him that he was a man of many wars and conflicts. David recounted his conversation with the Lord, but God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and you have shed blood. David secured the site for construction in Jerusalem, whose name means City of Peace. The temple of the Lord was not going to be a place to honor military conquest in the slaughter of Israelites' enemies, but rather it would be a place of peace. It would be the center of worship for a nation, a house to honor God, and it will be built by one who named a man of peace. Solomon was King David's son, and his name meant peaceful. Therefore, he was a prince of peace. Solomon was a man of peace and was known for his wisdom. He built up the nation of Israel and formed treaties and with other nations to increase their strength and secure their borders. He ordered the building of the temple of the Lord and saw the project completed. In the spectacular dedication of the temple, Solomon prepared an extravagant sacrifice to the Lord. God accepted the Israelites' worship and consumed the sacrifice with fire. Immediately, the glory of the Lord filled the house, and the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Dedication in a place of worship will bring the presence and the power of the Prince of Peace. We can't always be at war with the things around us, but sometimes we just need to realize that the Prince of Peace, he's the one that we need to serve. It's not about the miracle. It's about the King that lives inside of us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand tonight. And I am so thankful that he has brought that ability to every one of us in the house tonight. You all have that power and that authority to walk out of here and say, man, there's nothing that is going to take me from the love of Christ. There is nothing that is going to separate me in Jesus' name. Let's just make that commitment here tonight. Let's raise our hands. God, I am so thankful for this word that you have spoken to us tonight, God. Lord, help us to understand the power that you have given to us through your principle of peace, God, that you are that Prince of Peace desiring to live inside of us, God, that you are speaking to storms in our lives right now, that peace be still, God, that we can stand in the midst of those knowing that no spiritual attack can overcome us or override us. But Jesus, tonight, we desire to see you, God, greater than we ever have before, understanding, God, that in the midst of the storm, we can see you highly lifted up, God, greater than we ever have before. Lord, reveal yourself to us, God. Show us your name and show us your power in the midst of all of this, God. I am thankful, Lord, for what you have poured upon the families and households in this place tonight. And Jesus, I am believing that it will go to our community, God, to strengthen every person that is there as well in Jesus' name. Help us to reveal this to those around us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we are so thankful. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your mighty name, God.